Live from San Diego, California, we go live to the newsroom with your host for Nick's Nerd. Well, 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 hello, everyone. Hello. What is today? The 22nd of February? It's me, your host, Nick. Nick's Nerd News. How you guys doing? You guys you guys good? I'm good. I hope you all are good. It's, uh, it's a good day. It is a good day to be alive, right? I, <laughs> that came off really dark. What I mean... Oh, it's Ash Wednesday. Um, what I mean by that is it's just... It's, uh, it's fucking freezing and windy where I am right now. Um, which is not normal for us. But what, what's going on? You guys have a good weekend? Did you guys see Ant-Man? I saw Ant-Man. I've been playing a lot of Hogwarts Legacy as well. Um, so we're going to talk about both of those things today. Have you guys checked out the TikTok yet? It's it's under my personal name. It's under the not under the podcast page, but I just want to get it out there. You know what I mean? I didn't I didn't want to have two TikToks. Um, you guys check that out. You, you check you check you check that out. Uh, no, I, I kid I kid. What what else is going on though with y'all? Are you guys uh, you guys having fun though? I think I asked that multiple times. But hey, remember. Like, subscribe, share, do whatever makes you happy. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push it. I mean, I ask it because obviously, as a podcast host, I'm legally required by the FCC. No, I'm kidding. I I don't have to ask you. I just do because if you're gonna listen, listen. Hey, it's episode two fifty two, right? Hey, totally forgot about that. As I prattle on about nothing before we start the actual show um 250 episodes huh how about that we are multiple years in it is a good day it is a good time 250 episodes are we doing anything big or crazy no because i subvert expectations by doing what I always do, and I hope that you enjoy that. No, I don't know. I, I don't, I, yes, 250 is a big milestone, right? But I, I think our five-year anniversary trumps that later this year. Um, I, I really think that a, a five-year extravaganza would be much more befitting of, of my type of of enthusiasm yes i have enthusiasm for the show but what i what i mean is i i think five years is a bigger deal than 250 episodes right i mean 250 episodes you can crank out it it's 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 consistency with with time which is which is different um but 250 episodes right before before now i like if you listened the whole time You've listened to me talk about nonsense for oh, about 215 hours and 41 minutes, right? Uh, total time is 216 hours and 41 minutes, but there's a couple episodes 
where I'm not the only one talking or I'm not talking at all. So there's that. Um, average time for an episode, I'm sure you guys are aware, 52 minutes, right? Lately, they've been getting a little bit longer, but that's because there's a lot more things we've been talking about. Uh, I, I understand in today's world that, you know, attention spans are getting shorter, but that doesn't make sense because movies are getting longer and Leon is getting larger. I hope you got that reference to Airplane. Um, no, I, I thank you guys like, like I did at the beginning of the year, right? I thank you guys for listening week in, week out. 250 episodes is a big deal. It is. And I'm happy that I've gotten here. And that I've consistently done this and put this out. And I enjoy talking out into the void. And some people say that screaming out into the void with your opinions is bad for society. Well, I sometimes agree with that. Um, but I think in, in terms of my personal experience of screaming into the void, I, I think, I feel that it's... Uh, it's been a good thing, but who am I to judge, right? Only, only, only God can judge me now. Um, <laughs> no, I, that's, uh, I don't know what I was going with there. Um, anywho, let's get into the news. So, top of the, top of the hour. Uh, this is not a news broadcast. But uh, before we go into the stories, I want to talk about Hogwarts Legacy, which I have been playing, oh, what, it's been out a week and a half. I, yes, I had it for a week and a half, but I've only put about 12 hours into it, which, from my understanding, is about a third of the way through through the main, main game. Um, I think I'm a, a lot higher level than what normally a player would be if they weren't doing i'm doing like a lot of the side missions and stuff i'm just trying to have fun in the world and before we go deeper i understand the controversy surrounding jk rowling and the wizarding world in general in relations to um the lgbt community especially the trans community and look I understand that I may be perceived as not supporting them by buying this game and, and giving money to, to, to J.K. Rowling, right? And, and I understand that wholeheartedly. And I 1,000% I see both sides of the argument. And, and this is not the podcast for this conversation. And I don't want to you know, annoy people that maybe don't want to hear any more of this. And I get that as well. And I, look, I grew up with Harry Potter and I've loved it since day, day one, essentially. Um, I, I saw Daniel Radcliffe said something, I saw this online, and he said, uh, quote, Obviously, she's said a lot of frankly disgusting things I vehemently disagree with, but ultimately the world that she created and the way the fans have connected with that world over the years is something that transcends anything she's said or done, unquote. And I tend to agree with that statement, right? I, I'm not in the business of policing people's opinions. Yes, I'm going to shit on their opinions. Yes, I'm going to hate on their opinions. 
but I'm not going to take the ability away from them to have an opinion, right? That's not, that's not how society works. I understand there's going to be garbage human beings and they're going to say garbage things. But if, if I'm going to live my life where I'm not going to buy or do or things like that based on maybe the creator's opinion or something like that, then, then I'm going to live in a, a world where I can't enjoy anything, right? You, you, you can, and I understand she's making money off Hogwarts Legacy, right? You, you can, uh, this is not a fun subject to talk about. You, you can love a, an IP and buy things in that IP and still hate the person that created it, especially if they've come out and said garbage things after the fact, right? It, 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 it's, I, I don't know, it, it's, it's not a fun thing to think about or talk about, right? Because it doesn't jive with like everything else she's said and done and, and things like that. So it, it, it sucks. And, and I get it. If you don't want to buy the game at all, I, I understand. But if you're going to sit there and do that and not do that with like everything, then you're kind of being a hypocrite at that point. And I don't want to put that big label, right? And I hate to talk about something big like this right at the beginning of the show, but I just want to get it out of the way. Um, but like if, if you don't buy Hogwarts Legacy because of J.K. Rowling, but you eat at Chick-fil-A, you're you're kind of defeating the, the purpose of your 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 protest unbuy not buying, right? It it's and I know plenty of people that are probably doing that. Um maybe not personally, but I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that, oh, I'm not gonna buy Hogwarts Legacy, but I'm gonna have Chick-fil-A for for lunch today. Like, really? So, again, I... It sucks. And I just want to have fun in the world of Harry Potter, in the Wizarding World. I'm not going to think about J.K. Rowling or what she says. I understand she gets a piece of the profit of every issue of the game sold, but, like, at the end of the day you can't take back all of the stuff we've given her. We, you can't. But you can call her out for it. You can call her a, a fucking moron and an idiot and still enjoy the game because it's a world you want to live in. If one day George Lucas came out and said some shitty things, like, I, I don't know how I would deal with that because of, obviously he hasn't, right? But, the amount of, of time and investment I've put into Star Wars, like, I don't know how I would grapple with that. And I'm sure that's where a lot of people that are fans of the Wizarding World are right now. How do you grapple with that? How do you approach that? Um, if we were sports fans, we'd be burning a jersey, right? Uh, but uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. It, it's... I, I just, I'm not going to live, and I know this is really shitty to say, and I, I understand that, and you know what, hate me if you want, go ahead, I, I understand, right, but I just want to hang out in Hogwarts, man, I really do, 
I just, I don't know, man. I don't know what to do. Obviously, when I beat the game, it's not like I'm going to go play it again. But that's not the same. Enough with the downer stuff. Okay, like, I, it's just, it's it's not a fun situation. And I understand both sides. Um, but, anyway, I, I'm having fun with the game. It's not perfect in any way. And it's trying to make me believe that this is what the castle actually looked like outside of the scenes we see in the movies. Because it, it is built off the films more than it is the books. Um, but, and there's things that don't match from what, even what we saw in the movies. Again, it takes place a hundred years before, so maybe that's the, their logic or explanation. I don't know. Um, and they also want to make me believe that there's like ten little villages outside of Hogwarts. Because, in reality, the map in this game is way bigger than I thought. Um, but having a broom and flu powder is, it makes travel a lot easier around the map uh, of, of Scotland where where of course Hogwarts is situated um, within the, the wizarding world it it's the story is different um, it, it it's it's ham fisting this ancient magic thing in which again I I don't I don't know and, like, they hyped up that Simon Pegg would be in the game, and he's, like, barely in it. Like, you barely interact with with Headmaster Black. And it, it's, it's, like, don't hype that up if, if like, his screen time is minimal. The, the other characters are fun and engaging. And it's, it's, like I said, it's fun to be able to just do magic, right, and fly a broom around. It, it does suck that there's no Quidditch. And... You don't get to go to some other areas, right? It's it's all in Hogsmeade and Hogwarts and the valley around and the lake and things like that. So there there is a lot to do and explore. But they also just kind of... I get that it's 100 years before the movies, but your dude, your your character can just walk around and murk like bad wizards and, and goblins with no, with no issue, right? And you can learn the uh, unforgivable curses and... Just like get off scot free, right? But it's it's uh, I it's weird. It's very strange. I I get it, it the, for the game to work, right? The mechanics, but it's different for sure. At the same time, though, I feel like they bring in too many characters that are similar to the ones that would in, inhabit the same world a hundred years later. It, but. Overall, again, I'm having fun with it. Is it perfect? By no means. Is is it a masterpiece? Not at all. Is it the best Harry Potter game that's ever been made? Probably, even though it doesn't, excuse me, it doesn't have Quidditch. But, in other not great news <laughs> regarding the game, Avalanche Software and Portkey Games have announced they have no plans for any DLC at the moment, which is wild to me that they wouldn't bring DLC into um they wouldn't bring DLC into Hogwarts Legacy like I I don't understand um if any game was ripe for DLC it, it's it's Hogwarts Legacy so I 
I, I don't know. I, I don't want to waste any more time on that game in in the podcast. I'm going to finish the game. I'll beat it. Maybe I'll have a different opinion when the story ends. But as of right now, it's just it's fun to play. The plot could care less. But overall, very fun to play. Um, moving on. Dark Horse and Ubisoft have announced a new collector's edition of the making of Assassin's Creed 15th anniversary. And it is part of Dark Horse's new, like, they're going to be doing more collector's editions of, of art books and things like this. Uh, that is something that I've liked to collect. Uh, however, this one will cost $200 and is being limited to a issue of 1,000 units. Now, a $200 book set, it does come with some cool things, but I don't know if I can justify $200 on a book. Um, I don't know, but if I had the money, I, I probably would buy it. I'm not going to lie. It looks really cool, but unfortunately out of the cards right now. Um, and speaking of Ubisoft, they have announced, uh, or at least they opened up about why they had to cancel and delay so many games last year. And... I, I guess they admitted, so it was during an earnings call, uh, Yves Gamo, the CEO, said that, quote, we canceled a few games because we needed to make space for other games that are in development in the company. And that's really helping all the other games that are progressing well. Now we feel we have made the right number of games, knowing that we will launch a lot of games in financial year 24 that will also give space for the other games that are on the way in the company. If we look at 24 months, the number of games in the company and work in the company will go down quite a lot, and that will give more space to all the games we have on the way. Having said that, we know that many of those games are also going to have post-launch content, and this will take a certain number of teams and talents to actually create that content, unquote. So essentially, Eves is just admitting that they were making too many games. I don't know if that's even possible, but they were making too many games. And honestly, they're still making a game that shouldn't even be made, but... But that's besides the point, right? At, at least they admitted that they maybe were making too many and focusing in the wrong places. And that way they can uh, uh, divert their attention to things that they know might actually sell well or do well. Or maybe that the fans want, right? Like they're making a Star Wars game, which I cannot wait for. So I, I, uh, I think this is a smart move by them. Um to help them, right? Anyway, uh, Firaxis has announced that they will be making Civilization VII. Uh, no official date or anything, but that they are now in active development or active work on Civilization VII. Yes, that's right. We've hit Civ Seven, folks. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. Um, anyway, if you guys are watching The Last of Us on HBO, well... You are contributing it to it uh, actually, you know, outpacing the House of the Dragon on HBO. It, it is out, out, viewers are out viewing it. I, I, I don't think I said that right. But so more, more people, I guess, over time um, that are essentially uh, watching more of the last of us over time as the last of the house of the dragon, which makes sense. Um, 
it has to do with, you know, the fact a lot of people, I think, were burned by the final season of Game of Thrones, so they weren't as interested in House of the Dragon. So that makes sense. Uh, so if you're looking for Diablo 4, or looking forward to Diablo 4, the beta, there's been two beta announcements made. Uh, if you pre-ordered the game, you will be able to play in the beta between March 17th through March 19th. Uh, and then if you did not pre-order the game, a public beta will open that I think you can register for. That will take place between March 24th and March 26th. So those are two separate weekends uh, that you can go ahead and try out Diablo 4 before it launches later this year. Um, so earlier this year, we reported that Marvel's Avengers would be shutting down, essentially. Well, now we've learned that the former creative director... He's essentially come out and apologized for the game. Uh, this is... Hold on, I'm pulling up the story here. So, the cre former creative developer um, at Virtuos, which helped develop Marvel's Avengers, uh, the, his name is Virtosu Cesar, apologized, saying, quote, it was a challenging production, let's say. I apologize for that, unquote. <laughs> then why did you make the game, bro? Like, the game wasn't good. Nobody liked it. Some people played it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anywho, uh, a new Doom game was announced called Mighty Doom. And this time it will be a top-down twin-stick shooter for your mobile device. So Doom is coming to mobile again. Uh, this is very strange. Bungie has won their court case against the uh that cheating software company so um aim junkies which was a cheat maker uh, they violated bungie's copyright this is what a judge approved um bungie has won four point essentially 4.4 million dollars uh in damages and legal fees this has been going on since 2021 um and it was originally dismissed in a u.s court but then they filed a new complaint a few weeks later, and that's the one that's been going through. Um, this is crazy, though. Uh, <laughs> Aim Junkie's parent company, Phoenix Digital, released a statement that said, quote, Bungie and their counsel apparently believe the more shit you throw at the wall, the greater of the possibility of something sticking with the court, no matter how ridiculous or absurd it is in the real world, unquote. But... It looks like <laughs> the court disagrees. Like, you can't make a cheat software and then just assume you're not violating it. Like, it's someone's copyright. I, I don't... I don't know, man. I do not know how that works. Uh, we got our first lineup for EVO 2023. EVO, of course, the fighting game tournament. Um, interesting, though, that uh, once Sony buys them, apparently all the games are on PS4 now. But it will include Street Fighter VI, which isn't even out yet, uh, Guilty Gear Strive, Mortal Kombat 11 Ultimate Alliance, Ultimate, Tekken 7, King of Fighters 15, Melty Blood, uh, Dragon Ball Fighter Z, and Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3. So those are your games for the Evo lineup. All the games will be played on PlayStation 4. Um, yeah, and like I said... Street Fighter 6 doesn't even come out till June. Um, ooh, and it is getting a 
it will be getting an arcade version. So there's that. The final bit of stuff I, gaming I wanted to talk about today, though, is, is in regards to the Microsoft Xbox Activision merger, as we always tend to talk about. A lot of things happened today. Um, the first of which we learned, uh, or a lot of things have happened this week, I should say, and actually some things happened today, of all things. Um, so Microsoft has officially signed a 10-year deal to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo. Uh, they had announced it uh, 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 like a an agreement a few months ago, but this is an official deal. Then we also learned that Microsoft and Xbox have signed a deal with NVIDIA to bring all Xbox games to GeoForce now. Uh, this is also a 10-year deal. Um, so that means all Activision Blizzard games, should that deal go through. Um, and then... Also, all Xbox games. Um, it says, quote, The partnership delivers increased choice to gamers and resolves NVIDIA's concerns with Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. NVIDIA, therefore, is offering its full support for regulatory approval of the acquisition, unquote. So that's official from NVIDIA. Um, so they're getting their games, uh, Xbox games, through their NVIDIA Cloud support, which now I saw this today as well. Um, I guess, so there was regulatory, uh, a regulatory meeting in Europe in regards to this with all companies involved. And so we've learned essentially which companies are pro the acquisition and those who are not. Uh, so the, the companies that are on board with it are Bandai Namco, EA, EA of all people, Epic Games, Nintendo, NVIDIA, Riot Games, Sega, Take-Two, Tencent, Ubisoft, and Warner Brothers. Those that are against it, surprisingly Embracer Group's not on that list, those against the deal as of right now are Google, Sony, and some third party in China. Sony, of course, keeps bitching and moaning about Call of Duty. Microsoft has even promised to bring Call of Duty to, to Sony for like 15 years now. That is a very interesting group of people for and against the deal. Um, we've also learned that the CWA, which is the Communications Workers of America Labor Union Group, has signed on to the deal. It's rare for unions to agree with a merger like this. Um, granted, the CWA is, is new in the video game industry as more and more developers unionize. Um, the CWA president, Christopher Shelton... In an email said, quote, where is it? Um, quote, the European Commission has an opportunity in this case to take seriously the impact of major transaction on the video game labor market. Given the clear pathway to enforceable behavior remedies for potential consumer harms articulated by the European Commission and other regulatories, we hope you will approve this merger and help make history in rebalancing power in lab labor markets, unquote. But it's uh, interesting. So the CWA has been helping Activision in, in a lot of their um, more recent unionization situations. Uh, Activision Blizzard, of course, isn't really pro-union. Microsoft tends to be. Um, but uh, <laughs> the CWA has been the one who's been backing like Raven Software and things like that. So... It'll be interesting um, 
to see what happens. And then ultimately, what else is going on? Um, obviously, some com some regulators have called for them to break up Activision Blizzard or Call of Duty and make it separate. But I I don't understand um, the, the 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 shit slinging going on between these two companies is unreal. Um, there was a uh, press conference and Brad Smith, who is president and vice chair of gaming at Microsoft, said, quote, the future is cross-platform, unquote. Um, he also said, quote, do you want to kill a deal and cement Sony's position or do you want to open Call of Duty up to 150 more, million more people, unquote? Um, it's a lot, right? And that's that's essentially from the Nintendo Switch deal. And the GeoForce Now peep, uh, deal that they signed with NVIDIA. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, he also said that, quote, We don't think it's realistic that one part of this company can be carved out from the rest. Unquote. Obviously that's true. I mean, they're, they're so entwined right now. Um, he also, Brad Smith also said to clear up some things. Quote, Think about the market in Europe. It is a market where Sony has an 80% share. Globally, is it about 70-30. In Japan, it's 96-4. These numbers have been remarkably steady for two decades. Even last year, when there were issues with Sony's supply chain, they came back strong, unquote. Microsoft is essentially saying, like, we're, we're not getting Monopoly, which is what a lot of these... Look, you, you can argue a lot of other things. That's fine by you to argue. I, I understand if you're against mergers and things like that. But to be on the monopoly side, you're going to lose every single one of those arguments and cases. They, there's no way that Microsoft would get a monopoly in this case at all. The gaming industry is too big still. There are new st studios and developers popping up every day. For Microsoft to take a monopoly, they would literally have to like somehow jump Nintendo and Sony sales tenfold in like tomorrow. They'd have to own EA and Ubisoft. Like it, it's it's not a monopoly. You can't argue that. Other arguments go fine, well, and dandy, but that's not what the regulatory regulators are making. So there, there's no reason the regulate regulators should stop it. Which is the point I've been making a lot. Like the the arguments against it that are being made by regulatory and government bodies do not make sense. Right? They're they're not arguing semantics or mergers or too big to fail or or that nonsense stuff right they're arguing monopoly in no way shape or form will this make monopoly okay maybe they'll have a monopoly on call of duty but that's not the whole industry you you'd have to re literally redefine the idea of a monopoly to get on board with that argument and it doesn't make sense but that's it for gaming today. Let's head on over to the TV world. So, TV world, TV land, whatever you want to call it, let's get down to business, shall we? Paramount Plus, Paramount, I should say, have announced that at some point in calendar year 2023, there will be a price increase on your monthly Paramount Plus subscription. The premium tier, which allegedly includes... Uh, Showtime, which I don't see Showtime on mine. I think I have the premium tier. 
will go from $9.99, so $10 a month, to $11.99. That's a $2 increase uh, to $12 a month. And the essential tier, which does not include uh, uh, Showtime. So do none of these include commercials? I'm confused. Um, it will go from $4.99 to $5.99. Uh, so just be prepared for an increase at Paramount Plus if you are a subscriber. So I'm paying premium right now at $9.99. And then they have premium with Showtime, which is $11.99 right now. Which I'm very confused. So does that my, mean mine is going to $11.99? I, I, don't, I don't understand. Um... I don't understand what that means now. I'm very confused. And then Essential with Showtime is $11.99 a month. How can you charge the same price, one without commercials and one with commercials, on at the same price? That, that makes no sense at all. Like, that shouldn't even be an option. That That's, I don't even, I, I'm just paying premium. I don't have Showtime. I don't care about Showtime, but just just be advised that that could go up for you. Um, Josh Holloway, uh, the star of Lost, is joining J.J. Abrams once again, uh, this time for an HBO Max series uh, called Duster, and it will star Josh Holloway and Rachel Hilson. It's an eight-episode crime series caper set in the 70s, about the first black FBI agent. Um, but sounds that sounds cool. I like Josh Holloway. Um, in Duster, Holloway will star as someone called Jim. And Rachel Hilson will star as Nina, the first um, black FBI agent. Uh, Keith David, Cindy Elizabeth, Greg Grunberg. Oh, surprise, surprise there. Camille Guadi, Asavak. Kustachin, Adriana Aluna Martinez, and Benjamin Charles Watson are also starring in the show. Greg Gunberg literally isn't everything JJ makes at this point. Um, David Fincher has opened up about why there will not be a season three of Mindhunter at Netflix. Um, it's essentially not happening. Um, he. So. In 2020, Netflix said it wasn't canceled, but on hold. Um, but in an interview with a French outlet, Le Journal du Dimanche, Fincher said, quote, I'm very proud of the first two seasons, but it's a very expensive show. And in the eyes of Netflix, we didn't attract enough in an audience to justify such an investment. I don't blame them. They took risks to get the show off the ground, gave me the do, do the means to do Mank the way I wanted to do it, and they allowed me to do venture down new paths with the killer. It's a blessing to be able to work with the people who are capable of boldness. The day our desires are not the same, we have to be honest about parting ways. Unquote. I I don't know what that means, to be honest. Um, I just uh, I really don't understand um what he just said so it's not coming back if you liked Mindhunter um John Favreau has said that he is uh, they've been doing press for season four 
season three of The Mandalorian, which starts in a couple weeks. In a couple weeks, starts next week. Jesus. No, wait. Yeah, it, start, it starts a week from today. Excuse me. Um, the Mandalorian season three starts next week, but uh, John Favreau was being interviewed, and he said they have already written the story for Mandalorian season four. Uh, so it looks like they'll get right into that uh, pretty soon once uh, season three is out, and I'm sure once they're finished with Ahsoka, which we have learned from Rosario Dawson that she thinks Ahsoka will drop sometime in the fall of this year. So it sounds like Ahsoka will be a fall show on Disney+. Plus. Um, I don't remember if I said it last week or not, but speaking of Disney+, Plus, it looks like we're only getting two Marvel shows this year. I did, I think, when I was talking about the Kevin Feige thing. I think he's cutting back on Marvel+, Plus, Marvel+, Plus, Marvel shows on Disney+, Plus. in terms of, I think we're only getting Loki Season 2 and Secret Invasion. So that's a, a good good bet. After last year, I think there was like, what, four? Um, anyway, we've learned from HBO that uh, House of the Dragon, it's pretty much confirmed now that season two will not drop until next year. So it looks like they're, they're, they're starting production on season two if they haven't already. But do not expect season two of House of the Dragon in 2023. We will not see season two of House of the Dragon until sometime in 2024. And uh, before we move on to the movies, I do want to talk about Picard season three. So uh, Star Trek Picard season three dropped its first episode last week. It is a great episode. It, it is it is definitely building to the hype or uh, uh, filling in the hype that it's been giving us for the last few months at this point. While we don't get the return of everyone in the first episode, we do get Riker back, we do get Beverly back, we get a new character that we find out is, uh, so minor spoilers here, is Beverly's son, and you're like, well, yeah, we know her son, it's it's Wesley. Like, no, this is a new son who's who... We don't know his name just yet, but but spoiler stuff in magazines list him as Jack Crusher, which would make him Jack Crusher Jr., technically. A lot of people think he's Picard's son. He is British. I like how people are like, well, that makes him Picard's son. Picard didn't know he had a son. Why would the kid be British? Right? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, but it it's definitely an interesting story because it... It ignores a lot of the old B canon. So if you don't know Star Trek, there's a lot of books, right? And so this this was the biggest difference between Star Wars and Star Trek. Technically, all the Star Wars books were canon, even before the Disney merger when they threw out all the old EU and now all the books are canon again. Um, but with Star Trek, the books were never officially canon. Um, they were always B canon, so that's that's there's, there's actually two different Star Trek wikis, uh, fandom wikis. You have Memory Alpha and Mem Memory Beta, uh, so it it's thrown out a lot of things. Like there's a the a book that I read, uh, it's called the Autobiography of Jean Luc Picard, and in it they kind of hint at like Beverly writes the the foreword and and. That the cast has been friend or the the crew have been friends a long time and interact with each other, but now we're learning in Picard season three. Bev went off the radar 
20 years ago, and no one has seen or talked to her since. Um, we're, we're also learning that season three actually takes place several years after the end of season two, so we're, we're farther into the 25th century. Uh, we get the return of that blue next generation font. There's a, uh, uh, there's, um, it starts with in the 25th century, which if you guys know Wrath of Khan, it starts with in the 23rd century. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of fun going on. So yes, we are officially in the 25th century in Star Trek. Uh, granted, yes, I know Star Trek Discovery has gone into like the 3000s, but so, or no, did it 24th? Hold on. Um, give me a second. So, so yeah, it's in the 23rd century in, in Wrath of Khan, and now we're in the 25th century in uh, Star Trek Picard. Because so the first season of Star Trek Picard, Picard took place in, like, 2407, if I'm not mistaken. I can always look on Memory Alpha. But it was, like, a, almost a decade into uh, the 2400s after the, the explosion of the, the sun... Uh, around Romulus, around Romulus, which essentially kicked off the Kelvin timeline. Remember, the Prime Universe and the Kelvin Universe are are happening congruently, right? Like there's there's two universes in Star Trek right now, and it's it's really funny that that one is kind of dead. Um, but no, it's a very good episode. I did not want it to end. I I wish it had more than Bev and Riker right now. Uh, I hope it looks like we're gonna have Worf. In episode two tomorrow, and I don't know when Jordy's coming in, but uh, I that new that captain of the new Titan A is a dick though. I will say that. But if you are a big fan of '90s Trek, you need to watch Star Trek Picard. And yes, you kind of do need to watch seasons one and two. They're not the greatest, but they're good. Um, they are good TV. They're not amazing. There's a lot better Trek out there, but they helped set up the story as to why Jean-Luc is even around with, uh, with season three, and why, at least you'll learn why Data is not around, um, and it will help explain why Seven of Nine is around, and why who Rafi is, and why Rafi is a character in the show, but... I am really digging, even with just one episode, like I said, I'm loving Picard Season 3. It is amazing so far. It sucks that, I know they keep saying the final outing, but then there's other material that says that the Next Generation crew want to get together and keep doing more things, so prayers, fingers crossed that it's not the end completely for all of them, even though we might lose a cast member or two in the show at least. But, ooh, can't wait for tomorrow. Anyway, let's uh, let's get on to Hollywood and the movie biz. So, we've officially learned that the I Am Legend sequel is moving forward. It will star Michael B. Jordan uh, and Will Smith. It will take place decades in the future from the first film. And it will be based off the alternate, alternate ending that is now being considered canon. Uh, so, if you didn't know... I Am Legend had two endings. The ending we got in the theater where Will Smith sacrifices himself, spoiler alert for like a 10-year-old movie. Um, so he sacrifices himself to allow 
the the woman and the kid to get to the wherever the hu- uninfected humans were living. And then there's another ending that a lot of people actually prefer that somehow test audiences didn't like and didn't get into the final cut where Will Smith's character actually learns that the vampire zombie things aren't completely zombies and they like think and shit still and he actually ends up giving or like cures the girl one that he has in his like lab to the main bad one um and like everything and then he stays alive and goes with the woman and the kid up to up to the hideaway of humans so that that's the ending that is technically um canon now uh so yes i am legend 2 there's a tetris movie coming to apple plus next month starring taron egerton trailer dropped it almost almost makes me want to re-sign up for apple plus apple tv plus uh to watch this movie because it looks like there's a lot of hijinks ensuing uh like with going to the soviet union to get the the rights to tetris anyway remember that really shitty daredevil movie that ben affleck starred in and john favreau well the director has opened up and uh said that uh on yahoo entertainment mark stephen johnson who directed the film uh admitted that it was bad uh he said quote Looking back on it, one of the mistakes I made with the film was wanting to put everything in. I wanted to do Daredevil's origin story, and I wanted to do the Electra saga, and I wanted to introduce Bullseye and Foggy. I wanted everything to be in there, but the film could only support so much. And when you're told to cut a half hour out and make it more of a love story, things start to feel rushed and not quite right. It's a fan thing. When you love something so much, you want to tell it all. Unquote. Um... Yeah, that's uh, that sums it up, dude. You, you failed big time, and that's why everyone hates it. <laughs> A love story. Get the fuck out of here, man. Um, we also learned in a sly, subtle way that the Marvels has been delayed until November. Originally slated for a July release, Disney and Marvel put out a new poster for the film featuring its three main stars, with a new release date of November, which is probably why we didn't get a big game spot or commercial during the Super Bowl for it. Uh, it will Its spot, formerly held by the Marvels, will now feature the new Haunted Mansion movie coming out this year that stars Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, Liam Neeson has been very talkative as of late. Um... He's been talking about Star Wars uh, uh, lately as well, and um, he was on Watch What Happens Live and inter- and asked if he was interested in starring in a Qui-Gon Jinn spinoff akin to Obi-Wan. He said, quote, no, I'm not. There's so many spinoffs of Star Wars, it's diluting it to me, and it's taken away some of the mystery and magic in a weird way, unquote. Look. There's no place for a Qui-Gon spinoff at this point. He's too old. Now, ooh, this is, this is kind of weird for me. I agree and I don't agree on the diluting part. 
Yes, there's some things that have gotten maybe too much, but my issue with that is despite it getting bigger, it's still it's getting smaller at the same time if that may it do, that doesn't make sense. And I'll, let me explain myself. Yes, they are expanding the lore and all these new spin-offs, and I get where you could say it's diluting it and taking away from the magic. I'm looking at you solo. The movie. Uh, what I mean by it getting smaller is while they are expanding it, the in terms of like alien races and planets and things that they're going to, that is getting smaller. It's getting more insular. It's like with the old Lucas stuff, you used to always have the aliens that were introduced in the original trilogy. Now, after the sequel trilogy, it seems like the only aliens we see are the ones introduced by J.J. in his films. And it's like, okay, so now all of a sudden we're supposed to believe that those aliens were there all the time? Or, like, the other ones just don't exist anymore? And that's my issue. It's like, open it up to all of them. Or, if we're going to these new planets, like... Don't just use them as a way to replace stuff from the old canon and just ignore the other ones. The old canon, yes, a little more simplistic, but it had a wealth of planets and characters that we can still pull from and adapt into the new canon. We don't always have to reinvent the wheel. I'm I'm looking at this as a different way than Liam, Liam Neeson, though, right? But I don't like what they do sometimes in the new canon where they, they create a new planet that will take the place of an old one and just get rid of the old one. And it, it happened with the Clone Wars with, with Korriban, which is the original homeworld of the Sith, and Moraband. It, that always had, they kind of were always the same planet in the old canon, and now Korriban doesn't exist anymore and it was replaced with Moraband. And it, it's just, make it make sense. <laughs> um, make it make sense. I don't know, but do I agree with Liam? Yes and no. There's parts I agree with and parts I don't. But uh, he was then interviewed by Rolling Stone and Variety, and he talked about James Bond. It looks like he was once offered the role. He said, quote, I know the Broccoli's. They looked at a bunch of actors. Schindler's List had come out, and Barbara had called me a couple of times to ask if I was interested. And I said, yes, I would be interested. And then my lovely wife, Natasha Richardson, God rest her soul, said to me while we were shooting Nell down in the Carolinas, Liam, I want to tell you something. If you play James Bond, we're not getting married. She gave me a James Bond ultimatum and she meant it. Come on, there's all those gorgeous girls in various countries getting into bed and getting out of bed. I'm sure a lot of her decision making was based on that, unquote. So, if not for Natasha Richardson, Liam's wife, uh, who tragically passed away, he would have been James Bond, which uh, I think he made the better choice, to be honest, because I don't think he would have been in Star Wars if he uh, had done that. And I don't think we would have gotten taken either. Think about that. Then again, maybe he didn't make the right choice. I don't know. <laughs> Learn that Zach Galifianakis will star in the live-action Lilo and Stitch movie. What that means, I, I don't know. Does that mean he's Stitch? I'm, I'm confused. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> let me see. Michael B. Jordan says that the fights in Creed 3 were inspired by anime, including Dragon Ball Z. 
Uh, he was talking to IGN as part of their fan fest. And he said, quote, without nerding out too much, you've seen so many fights throughout the Rocky and Creed franchise, and I really wanted to put my spin on it, you know? How to make these fights different. And you know, from Hajime no Ippo to Megalobox to Naruto to My Hero Academia, all those different anime that I watched growing up, there's an inherent spirit to them in how they fight. And their bonds and relationships and all that good stuff. But it's very similar to the brotherhood and bond that we have and his relationship to his family as well. So I tried to key on key in on some of those moments. And yeah, they're in there. They're in a lot of fights. I would say from Dragon Ball Z Universe, there's a punch in me and Damien's fight where the, there's a Dragon Ball Z punch that's in there, unquote. So, Creed 3 is a very anime-inspired film, it looks like. Um, I haven't watched Creed 2, but after watching Ant-Man and the Wasp, I would, I kind of want to watch Creed 3 just to see Jonathan Majors again, because dude is a beast. Um, another Hellboy reboot is apparently in the works. Yes, you heard me correctly. Hellboy, again. Millennium Media has announced that they are rebooting it one more time. It will be called Hellboy the Crooked Man. Um... This is via Deadline. Uh, Brian Taylor, director of Crank, will be helming the new film. Um, Mike Mignola has actually written the script this time uh, with Chris Golden. Um, so uh, there's that. At least Mike Mignola is involved. But let me see. It's from a 2008 comic um, that was released alongside Hellboy 2 The Golden Army. And it looks like... It's, quote, Hellboy and a, a rookie stranded in 1950s rural Appalachia. There they discover a small community haunted by witches led by a local devil with a troubling connection to Hellboy's past, the Crooked Man, unquote. I, I guess, um, yeah, Mike McNola, Millennium Media said this, quote, The Crooked Man is a departure from all previous Hellboy films where Mike McNola and the creator of the comics will finally shepherd an authentic version of his stories and characters in film form. Unquote. I guess, uh, following up with, quote, this is the first in a, in a series of films that will captivate audiences in a familiar and new ways. Brian Taylor is an expert across the board, and I couldn't think of a better person to bring this story to life to show our audiences this different and original Hellboy slate of films, unquote. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. It's going to be several films. Um... Look, anything is going to be better than the dog shit Hellboy movie that came out a couple years ago with David Harbour. Because that movie was bad. That movie was so bad. So, so bad. I can't even, I can't even tell you how bad that movie was. Um, Ernie Hudson has been talking about the next Ghostbusters film. Saying that... Uh, he wants to be in it, but not as like a cameo appearance, essentially. Um, he was on the Howard Stern wrap-up show on Sirius XM. And he said, quote, We're negotiating a new movie that's gearing up to start shooting in March. And I'm like, guys, there's a place. I'm not an add-on. So if I'm going to do it, it has to make sense, unquote. He also went on to talk about um, the time making the original films and things like that. It's a very interesting interview i've watched some of it and it just talks about how he wasn't on the poster how the studio kind of treated him as like the other guy and 
it just uh it it's not um not a cool story to hear how they treated him back in the 80s the studio he has he has nothing but love for the uh, his other cast members and the director Ivan Reitman but um it has to do with with how the studio treated him and things like that it's a great interview i would definitely check it out um like i said it's the howard stern wrap up show uh we've also heard from some animators that work for marvel and on vfx shoots and while ant-man and the wasp quantumania is not really getting great um reviews from critics it is doing fairly well in terms of of um you know audience members like right now Right now, it's tied for the worst rotten score of a Marvel movie. It's 49% critics, 84% users, which is very, very wide gap for a Marvel movie. Um, it did win the weekend. It, it actually took home $106 million. So uh, that's a big win for Marvel movies, uh, again, as always. Uh, it's $257 million worldwide as of right now. So, <laughs> Wow. That's that's really good. We'll see how the second weekend goes, though, because, as we all know, second weekend can make or break. But some VFX artists have been speaking out, and three of them who worked on the film anonymously spoke to Vulture, said that, quote, In terms of priority, Wakanda Forever was definitely at the top of the list. All the money went to that. All the best resources went to that. It's understandable given the context with Chadwick and everything and how well the first film did, but it did diminish the ability to carry Ant-Man all the way through, unquote. Another artist said, quote, a lot of editorial changes and not show as much action or effects as there could have been, likely because there just wasn't enough time to render everything, unquote. Uh, another one followed up with, quote, a lot of us sitting here thinking the money is there, why is it not coming down? Marvel spending a bit more money to pay more VFX people wouldn't make that much of a difference for the executives all the way at the top. But if it comes down to them not being comfortable with their bank numbers and us working until burnout, we lose out every time. Honestly, I equate it to human greed. Unquote. So, I saw Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, and there's definitely places where it reminds me of some other Marvel movies that don't always have the best... Um, VFX, and it's disappointing, especially for Ant-Man and the Wasp, and I'll talk about that in my review, um, but I, I also understand what he means by prioritizing Black Panther Wakanda forever because of how bad the VFX were in the first Black Panther movie. They were atrocious, and people drag that movie. That's the only way you can drag that movie is for that, especially the rhino scene at the end of the movie. That rhino looks so fucking fake, it's not even funny. Um, but I, I get where they're coming from, right? Like, Disney can afford to pay more VFX artists at the end of the day. We all know this, and they should. Um, because there's a lot of stories that have been coming out in regards to VFX artists in Marvel movies lately. In terms of, you know, not paying well, burnout, uh, crunch... We don't always hear that from like from ILM, from Lucasfilm. Granted, they focus, they do every, they do a lot of movies. Uh, Marvel movies though tend to spread the the weight a little in terms of VFX. But 
Uh, we'll talk about just my feelings on Quantumania in a bit. Uh, one more story before that. Uh, Oscars 2023 will have a crisis team in place. <laughs> in an interview with Time, the Academy of Motion Arts and Sciences CEO Bill Kramer said, quote, We have a whole crisis team, something we've never had before, and many plans in place. We've run many scenarios, so it is our hope that we'll be prepared for anything that we may not anticipate right now, but we're planning for just in case it does happen, unquote. Um, <laughs> uh, look, is another slap going to happen? No. All right. They're, they're being a little overreactive and I get it. I get it. Uh, everyone thought it was a bit last year and it wasn't. Um, I, I just, <laughs> so producer Will Packer even said, quote, because of last year, we've opened our minds to the many things that can happen at the Oscars. But these crisis plans, the crisis communication teams and structures we have in place allow us to say, this is the group that we have together very quickly. This is how we all come together. This is the spokesperson. This will be the statement. And obviously, depending on specifics of the crisis, let's hope something doesn't happen and we never have to use these, but we already have frameworks in place that we can modify, unquote. That's hilarious that they're doing all this just over one slap. Yes, technically it's assault. But, uh, <laughs> oh God. Um, that is it for movie news. And before we end the show, I want to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which I did see this weekend. So, uh, if you guys don't want to hear my spoiler-filled review, thank you guys for listening. Episode 250, I appreciate all of y'all. Um, make sure to like, follow, subscribe to the show all that jazz. Check out the TikTok. Follow us on social media. Anywho, let's get right to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Did I like it? Yes, I did. Is it great? No. Is it the best Ant-Man film? No. Is it better than the last few Marvel movies? Yes. That I can most definitely say. Like, like I've been very disappointed in the last few Marvel movies. But Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, it is very funny. So it sticks with with the, you know, theme of the Ant-Man movies being a little more humorous. Uh, the downside, though, is there's no Luis. There's no Michael Pena. And the director's kind of said, like, it would make no sense for him to be in there. And I get that. But, like, that's what an after-credit scene is for. And don't get me wrong. The after-credit scenes were amazing. But it's, like, we need that recap of the snap and all that from Michael Pena. So you need him going like, so right, there was a Thanos guy, right? And he snapped his fingers, right? And like everybody turned to dust. And I had to clean up my grandma, right? Like that kind of thing. And it was, it sucked that it wasn't there because he does such a great job. But the, the film literally takes place over like the span of like a day or two, right? So some Marvel movies usually span several days, weeks, things like this. Like Ant-Man happens, or Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, like, it starts off, Scott, them kind of talking about different things, but then, it, like, they're all sitting at dinner, and then they all get sucked in the quantum realm. And, obviously, time works different in the quantum realm, but it, it there's almost, there's very little time spent in the real world, Earth, essentially. So, it's, it's again, I get it makes no sense to have him there, but it, it 
it was uh, it was missed. And when I say in the quantum realm, I mean that. And that that's kind of going back to what I was saying with the VFX artists. This was the most green screen heavy Marvel movie in quite a while. Like almost all of it was set in the quantum realm, which I I think took away from the film a bit because the Ant-Man films have been always a little more, you can't say grounded with a straight face with with Ant-Man, but they, they were a little more grounded than like even Guardians of the Galaxy, which is a green screen heavy Marvel film, right? But it, it felt like this one relied on it almost too much. And you can almost now see where like the cracks in the VFX are. It's a little more, it, things are a little more spaced out and they don't look as clean as they have in, in other films. Um, I still enjoyed it though. And the build up to Kang though is what I most appreciate, right? Kang isn't in there for the whole movie. There's snippets of him and then they build up to his reveal in him coming in. And it's it's great. And I I love that so much more. It it's like the old Godzilla movies, right? Where like Godzilla build up is there, but you don't see the big guy until later in the film. Like you don't see Kang until almost an hour in. And that is I appreciate that on such a different level. Um the introduction of Cassie is really great as well. Obviously, they're building towards a young Avengers as we've getting as we've gotten more and more younger characters, next generation of, of certain characters. But I can see how this is the first film in Phase 5 and where to build from and how we're going to get, you know, Kang and the Kang Dynasty, right? So definitely watch the after credit scenes um, because that will play into that. We get uh, the Centurion Kang. We get Rama Tut Kang. We get... Immortus Kang. Kang fucks shit up in this movie in in such a great way. Like, Ant-Man does not beat Kang by himself. Like, it takes all of them, plus an army of heavily advanced ants. And I'm not going to spoil everything. But Ant-Man does not beat Kang easily. And it takes, like, a sucker punch... From hope to do it. Uh, so it, it does show how much of a, a force Kang is. Is he gone? I don't know. Right? No body, no death. That's always the case. But I don't know how the quantum realm works. The character I was most surprised to like was Modok. Uh, so spoilers, as I've been saying this whole thing. Corey Stoll is back. Um... It explains how he went from being Yellow Jacket in the first film uh, to becoming MODOK now in this third film. He, it, 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 he plays very against type, right? And it's, it's interesting because MODOK acts very smart at times, but then he also acts kind of dumb at times. And he, it, doesn't, um, it doesn't like fit his character when he was Yellow Jacket. But, but... He's such a great character in this movie. Like, everyone's like, Darren? No, I'm MODOK. It's, it's, it's kind of like a, a twist between the, the MODOK TV show that starred uh, Patton Oswalt on Hulu and, like, the MODOK from, like, what we traditionally know from, like, comics or, like, the Marvel's Avengers game. 
and it's he's got this kind of like weird sense of humor, like the Patton Oswalt one, but serious machine killing thing that we know from the comics and stuff. So it was a nice blend of that, and I did like that very much. Bill Murray, uh, small character part, but funny. Um, weird choice to pick him though. Like it just and like you get Bill Murray, but only for like five minutes. Um, the the characters of like the resistance and stuff was fun. The actor they got from the Good Place, um, I I forget his name and the character he plays, but like they the way they cast him and were being so secretive about him, you thought he was going to be playing a bigger character overall in the in the MCU, and I he really wasn't, and I I don't I don't get the secrecy um, about that, but. The, the actress they picked to play Cassie was really good. Uh, she replaced the one that played Cassie in Avengers Endgame. So if you're surprised by a new actress, that's why. Uh, like I said, though, Jonathan Majors fucking killed it as Kang. Um, um, even though he's in the movie, Michael Douglas didn't really have a lot to do. Which is, I, I guess, I get. Because this movie was more about uh, Janet in, in terms of Michelle Pfeiffer, who... Straight killed it. Michelle Pfeiffer was great in this movie. Um, she had a lot to do, which was fun. Um, Evangeline Lilly didn't really do much as Hope in this movie. Because I think her moment to shine was more in Ant-Man and the Wasp, the second movie. And of course, Paul Rudd. Always great. I love Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd is, is my hero. And it, it ends on a very interesting note as well. Like, never have the heroes really thought about some of the repercussions of their actions and it like hit them in a wave of realization. And I appreciated that more than anything. That was, that was different, but it, it is fun. It is funny. I think you guys should definitely check it out. Um, it's definitely better than a lot of phase four, how it has worse reviews than Thor love and thunder, which I don't looking back, this movie's a lot better than Thor love and thunder. And what I'm still very confused by is all the early review all all the early like reactions were all very positive. So it was weird to see the critics like drag it essentially when they wrote their final reviews. But um, that is it for Nixner News this week. Thank you guys for listening week in, week out. Again, 250. Woo-woo. We're we're getting there, folks. We're getting there. Um, as always, check out nixnernews.com where you guys can find links to all of the places you can subscribe to the show, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, places like that, Amazon Music. Um, also, make sure you can listen right in your browser, too, if you don't want to sign up for the, those services. Um, also, while you're there, check out our social media tab. Or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Nixner News. Uh, check out my personal TikTok, The Nick DeFalco. Uh, that's where I'll be posting TikToks for the podcast. Um, so check out all those. Uh, other than that, I will catch you guys on the flip side.